Welcome to the Roadie Friday Podcast with your hosts, Darren Makins and Jose Escudero. chair <laughs> sorry no you're good we curse on here so you can say whatever you want to just as long as it's nothing that'll get any of us fired <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'm pretty i i, I won't I'm, I'm really good like i don't really say anything inappropriate ever but i but i swear a lot so that's good to know well fuck yeah uh hi jose how are you hello i'm good what's up dude where are you each at right now i'm in austin Hell yeah. Austin, Texas. And I live in Philadelphia. Sorry about your Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucked. But I mean, what are you like? What are you going to do? You know, it's funny because I wasn't rooting for either team. I'm a Bears fan, unfortunately. Uh, and but for some reason, even as somebody that wasn't even rooting for either team, like ending to that game, like stung. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, well, I'm. <laughs> The bottom line is that um, Andy Reid made all of the right changes that he needed to in the second half, and the Eagles didn't adjust a goddamn thing, so we just yep. fell apart. Wow. So, Jose, are you are you on a day off on tour right now, or are you? Uh, are no, you... no, I'm I'm in between tours right now. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, so are you? Wait, one of you was on the Alter Bridge thing, right? Yeah, that was that was me. That is Jose. Okay, is that over already? Uh, the first half is. Yeah. So Tank, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, it's been a busy day, but um, good, man. It's it's nice to be home. I wasn't gone as long as you know you guys probably have been on some tours lately, but I just got done with some shows and I'm home hanging with the family and life is good. Fuck yeah. Yeah, my next gig, I'm I'm literally gone for three months straight. And it's uh Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm uh <laughs> it'll it'll be an interesting one for sure. Mine are normally like a month month long, but I'll usually just have like a week tops in between tours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, that's how it was when I was touring for years. So it's like gone for a month to two. Well, sometimes it was longer depending. Um, but it's like, you'd be used to being gone for two or three months. And it's like, while you're on that tour, you're trying to find another tour. Yeah. And that next tour would probably start right after. It's like, I started working for a country artist in 2015 and I got so used to that weekend warrior schedule where it's like oh, the yeah. longest I was ever gone is if we had to go to the West coast for a couple weeks or something. And it's like, I felt like I got spoiled from that. So like this last run that I just did was only like a, a couple production days and three shows for the first start of this tour. And then we're already home. And it's like, that's the longest I've been away from home in like three <laughs> years. And it was only a week. <laughs> So, so how was that? How was like adjusting back? Like, did you really adjust back to road life at all or dude? No joke. I thought it was going to be an adjustment because when the pandemic happened, I kind of, you guys know what happened then, but throughout the year we were doing our uh, virtual shows and whatever and stuff like that. But when I, uh, when my wife and I found out we were pregnant, I basically said after 2020, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like I stopped working for the artist I was working for. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to tour full time again, but now these situations are coming up where I keep getting these offers for like European bands that are coming to the States. If they need mm -hmm. somebody for a short run, our daughter is old enough now where my wife's like, yeah, go for it. So man, I, I thought it was going to be an adjustment. 
I feel like I never stopped. I really like after flying out and like, you know, production rehearsal day was easy. It's like you get right back into that mindset of work. And then even the first show day, it was like, once I set up my guitar world and I started working again, it was like, after an hour, I was like, okay, this is how I used to do this. We're good. Like it was that quick where it was just like, I feel like I never even got off the road. Yeah. uh, The same, like, like uh, a, a lot there's a lot of de- time in between the tours that I do just because I work a job in between tours so like I don't have to tour and like the first probably couple days of tour is usually just me being sore as hell because I'm using muscles that I don't use yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like there will even be like times where I'm just like pacing up and down bunk alley just like trying to get the knots out of my legs and it's like god like mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I forgot how to sleep on a bus yeah, the bus the, uh, adjusting to the bus again was easy because I've always slept really good on a bus. There's something about the motion oh, yeah. and the noise. Dude, that yeah, I like. that's that's what I hear from everybody, and it was my experience too. Like once I got on my first bus tour, like to this day, I just I sleep better on the bus than I do in a regular bed. Like even yeah, when I when it. I had my place, like even when it was my own bed, like I just slept better on a bus. It was it's the weirdest thing, but I'm mad. <laughs> Yeah, I feel that. I don't know what it is. Like, I I still probably think it's just whether the motion or the generator running or whatever. And you got, you know, you got an air vent blasting right in your face. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's nice. I actually, I want to make a YouTube video just specifically for roadies. And it's just like the generator noise for like 10 hours. So that way, like, yes. you, you can wean yourself off of the tour noises, like just to get yourself yes. to sleep in your own bed. Dude, I toured with this guy back in the day that couldn't sleep at home so like so bad that um he went to the hardware store and like built a bunk for his bedroom. <laughs> Literally, I'm not even kidding. He built a, a replica bunk like in a room nice. in his house, and every night he'd sleep in this little bunk. And I was like, What do you do if you want to like invite someone over or something? It's like, what if you're <laughs> dating somebody and they're gonna stay the night? He's like, Well, I'd use my regular bed in that case, but if I'm just by myself, I get in the little makeshift bunk. I'm like, that's nice. wild. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who 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 has like a he puts like an industrial fan in his room just to like get some noise going. Yeah. Oh, it's wild. Just imagine your normal bedroom setup, but then like just a bunk off in the corner. And then like, you know, let's say that you're a girl that decides to stay over this guy's house and it's like, hey, what's that? And he's just like, nah, don't worry about it. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, I'm not a weirdo. I promise. (laughs) I'm just a roadie. (laughs) But it was it was so fun, man. It was it was a blast. I loved it. I I really realized like I, I. I missed being out, but, um, the one thing I got to admit, this is so funny. Like you guys probably know there's a certain sense of this in your jobs, but like, even as a roadie, if you don't know what you're doing, you always pretend like, you know what you're doing. Oh, so nobody, so no, like, so for this, for this tour, the guitar players I was teching for, uh, all their guitars have Evertune bridges. Uh, I've never worked on Evertune bridges ever. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and and they were using Kempers. And I've used everything pretty much but Kemper. My last tour before this was Axe FX3. I've got a Helix at home. So I I did the, you know, when they hired me, it was like a month out. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good with all that gear. It's cool. And then, you know, 
just did some YouTube digging around and stuff like that and talked to a few friends. And then the the first day when I got out there, it was just like, pretend I know what I'm doing for a day. Yeah. And then (laughs) usually after a day, you figure it out. So it's like, yeah. The, the first time I changed the strings with the Evertune and got it worked out and figured out how to do the bends, like no problem. String changes every day was easy. Kempers were easy because fucking MIDI changes running to everything. Like yeah. no joke. It was probably one of the easiest gigs I've ever done. These guys oh, yeah. play 20 songs set and didn't change guitars once. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. So like the, the Kempers just trampo- transposed everything when they had like different tunings. No, there is no different tuning. They're just oh, drop okay. C sharp. The entire, every song they write is drop C sharp. It's amazing. Sick. Easy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So because um, there's, there's a band that I worked for at one point and they just use the, uh, they just use the Kemper to like transpose the guitars for every song. A lot of people do that. Well, yeah. they went back to doing guitar switches just because one of the guitar players decided like, nah, where I can hear the latency so we're just going to go back to switching guitars and I'm like it, it was the is the latency is that noticeable but like I mean hey whatever I'm just I'm just the tech you tell me what to do I'll do Dude it. I I I I get what you're saying there's there are times where I think uh, the musicians get in their own heads more than there is actually things going on I actually just happened halfway through the set and the, the funniest part about this was this is a band I have never worked for they don't know me I don't know them uh, they brought the rest of their normal crew and they're all German. So like they, they speak English, but it's like, there was a sense of feeling each other out. So one of the shows, one of the guitar players looks at me and he just like, while he, he was holding out an open note, he just like starts making this hand signal where he's like, going like, you know, spinning his fingers. And I'm like, Okay, I don't know what that means because we haven't <laughs> talked about it signals, but I, I got to assume that I, I want a different guitar. Yeah. So I get his spare and he comes over to the side of the stage uh, between songs and he's like, it's like, you know, really thick German accent. He's, and he's like, Dude, some, something's wrong. Something is wrong with the guitar. And I'm like, uh, what, what? And he's like, my, my gain keeps dropping out. And I was like, I was like no, it's not. Like, I was just honest. I was like, I have the same mix. I, nothing's dropping out. And he goes, oh, well, maybe, uh, he goes, maybe it's, uh, how do you say, uh, so like, like mind fuck. I was like, <laughs> maybe it could be. So I was like, but if it makes you feel better here, use your other guitar and we'll see how you feel about it. And he's like, okay. So we switch guitars. And then when he gets on stage, he plays for like a verse and then turns and thumbs up and he's all smiley and happy. And after the show, the monitor engineer, I asked him, I was like, did you notice anything? And he goes, no, no, there was, there was nothing going on. It was all in his head. And that happens. And as techs and roadies and stuff, it's our job to do what we're told. So if he, even if nothing's wrong, if he feels better with a different guitar, then that's what we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll do that too. Like, I'll adjust anything they want, whether I think it's the right, you know, whether I think uh, it should be done or not. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. you're this is you know your gear. You're the one pl- playing it. I'll I'll do whatever. Yeah, for sure. Like there there may have been times and like where an artist will tell me to do something, and if they seem like they're open to my opinion, I might give them a suggestion. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's whatever they want. That's 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 what we do. You know. Yeah. Yep, we are hired to uh, cater to the artist's needs. Yeah, one hundred percent. 
it's always funny. Like, like I'll say the artist or the talent and it's, it's, uh, I, I usually, I, I joke with most of the guys that I work for. I'll, I'll jokingly say like the talent or, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to upset the talent today. Like <laughs> so many people that ask me that, that aren't, that don't do what we do. And they ask, it's like, you know, how do you know what to do? And you know, the truth is, is after you work for an artist for a while, you kind of just know what they like and you do it that mm-hmm. way. And then they, you know, there have been times where even me with like my being very specific with things, it's like, well, it's like, I would do this a different way, but it's not my show. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just, we just, we do what we're told. <laughs> yeah. And like, and like the, how do you know what to do? Just, it's really, it's actually really simple. You like, you know, you communicate with your artist. you kind of like, you know, the first few days you kind of feel out like what they're playing mm-hmm. is like, what, you know, what kind of music they enjoy. Like, you know, you listen to their tones, you take a look at how they set up their settings on their amps or whatever. And you just repeat that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, it's funny what you just kind of, what you're talking about. It's like kind of building that common ground and rapport with the artists. It's like, you know, when we do tours into Canada, one of the things they always make a big deal about with like Americans going into Canada to work is they always stop us at the border and ask what we do. And a lot of the times, you know, the big thing for uh, Americans working in Canada is they're like, well, couldn't, couldn't a, a Canadian here have done this job? And the, the answer to that question is yes. Like uh, there, there are any, anybody with the same knowledge could step in and do the gig. Mm-hmm. But what they don't see is the time that we've spent with the artists where we know what they like, how their gear needs to be, how the show's going to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if you're a crew guy or crew girl, that's been with a band for so long that you know exactly how the show goes and exactly how everything gets set up. Like, what kind of drinks the artist likes and where and stuff like that. That's invaluable knowledge that even though somebody else could come in and, and do the tech gig, they're not going to know any of that. Like, and it's going to change the flow of everything. And even things that would affect the show so hugely as like how to tune the guitar, because I've had three guys who each tune it a, like a different way or like, yeah. I have to tune a different way for each guy. And, uh, yeah, stuff like that. Like someone coming in day one, you know, they would they wouldn't know what to do on a show day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the the artist, the you know, the artist. Like, I know for for example, like I know if someone did, for example, Mark Tremani, like on a day one without any prior experience, they're gonna tune flat, and I already know that they're gonna tune flat, yeah. and he's gonna look over. Hey, it's flat, and I take it, and it'll, it looks the tuner looks fine to me, but. Hey, like with his playing, it somehow ends up like seeming flat. So someone who hasn't dealt with him in the past, like wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. It's the same with like country artists. Like I was actually blown away when I started teching for country artists, like how good the players and country music are like, it's ridiculous, but they are there, you know, with a lot of metal, you guys know that, you know, people have endorsements and they're very specific about what guitars they use and stuff like that country players man they're the they're the some of the only people i've ever met where it's like a lot of them aren't very brand specific they they have the ear for the certain sound they want so they don't care what the brand is or anything like that so like for example on one of my tours i did i had a guitar player that we had we had a stratocaster a telecaster an explorer a les paul um we had like an ltd eclipse like tons of different things 
And on top of all of those different guitars for the different tones on certain songs that they want, when we're doing quick changes, you got to know what pickup selector is selected for the start of that song, mm-hmm. how their tone knobs are, stuff like that. So it's it's all the little intricacies that you learn over time with your artists that that's, that's really where your kind of skill is when you're working for somebody on the road is learning all those little things that nobody else is going to know. Yeah. Man, yeah. and that's that's wild because I don't even think of that. You know, I've always worked for hard rock and heavy metal bands, and you know the mm-hmm. the, the pickup selection is always on the on the uh, on the bridge side, and it's like yeah. I've never even thought to think of that. That's insane. Yeah, it's the the country players are a different breed, dude. It's like I've seen little things like you know I've seen players in country that will like in the middle of a song from verse to chorus or bridge or whatever they're switching their pickup selectors and their tone knobs because even though nobody else in that audience is going to hear that difference at all they will they hear yeah. it and they know it and that's the, it's it's just that specific it's crazy yeah well this conversation went a million miles an hour already and we haven't even gotten into yeah. the topic yeah. <laughs> also like yeah because like the way the conversation's going like i also like noticed like this is episode eight right eight and yeah. it's the first time where the three of us are guitar techs yeah <laughs> yeah we've had drum That's techs awesome. lds uh photographer but it's that i i know i thought of that as well this is the first episode where it's all guitar techs yeah yeah well i mean guitar tech now like dude i've been doing this for si- 16 years and only yeah. like s- seven of it i've actually been a guitar tech before that i was bass and drum tech almost exclusively and then before, dude, I've pretty much done everything but audio. Like I'm lost right. when it comes to audio. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about audio at all, <laughs> but uh, like lighting, merch, pyro, like I've, I've dipped into almost everything at this point. Nice. And a lot of my tours I've done as a drum tech, this upcoming one that I'm doing, I'm going to be drum tech and I'm doing one of the guitar players. So there's two guitar players and a bass player and I'm doing drums and the harder of the two guitar players because he plays a Floyd Rose. So Ugh. I know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try to talk the uh, other backline tech into switching one of the guitar players with me just because like, if I'm doing drums, I don't want to do a fucking Floyd Rose either. Dude, I, I can do it. Uh, yeah. I hate Floyd. I hate Floyd Roses so much that on one of the tours I did recently, we had an opener that like, they were great people and they didn't have, they didn't have a crew with them. They had like a tour manager. <laughs> And I was like, if there's anything I can do to help you guys during your day, if I don't have anything going on, let me know. And one day their guitar player comes up. He's like, hey, man, can you restring one of my guitars for me if you have time? And I was like, absolutely. Bring me the guitar. Brings me the guitar. It's Floyd Rose. And I was like, take it back. I was like, I don't have time for that. I just, I don't have time for it, dude. I'm sorry. No, I feel like, I feel like you do get used to it though. Like uh, when I went out with a day to remember, I, I was teching for Kevin Scaff and, uh, all his guitars have Floyd Rose and it's the, I already knew how to work Floyd Roses. So that wasn't an issue, but it was the first time I had a Floyd Rose on tour and like all the guitars have Floyd Rose on them. So it, it took some adjustment, but you know, just the repetition and you know, over time just got quicker and quicker and it, it ended up being fine. When did you tour with them? This was in uh, July or August. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I was still in a band, we we toured with them a lot when they were off of like for those who have hearts. So this was like 2006. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like okay. when when Tom, when Tom was still in the band. Yeah. And uh 
right now, this is actually kind of funny. I'm going to be releasing a video on YouTube soon that is like, I, I have this thing on Twitch where I do a one hour bass challenge because I'm a bass player where people give me songs. The chat recommends songs and I try and learn them in, in under an hour, like all the way through perfect. Or we just did a day to remember and I ended up ripping like three of their songs. <laughs> and yeah. I'm gonna and I'm gonna release that video as a unofficial audition for a day to remember because like those guys may <laughs> remember me and they don't have a bass player right now. Yeah. Um, okay. but dude, and nobody has a bass player anymore. Everybody's using fucking tracks. tracks. Man, that's <laughs> yeah. I, I I have that I have that conversation a lot because like in the in the 2000s, people were getting rid of keyboard players. Now they're getting rid of bass players. I think uh, you want my opinion. I think guitar players are next. Dude, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's next, but really quick, on this last like AI is the big thing right now with art, right? Oh yeah. yeah. And I, I'm still like, we're years away from an AI coming up with original music, like without being fed a bunch of shit from somebody else. But when you feed somebody else's already created work into it, then you start getting into the realm of copyright infringement and stuff like that. So you can't train an AI. So if you wanted to make like a, a metal band, you couldn't feed a bunch of metal music into it because of IP infringement. So I'm like, we're years off of a band, an AI band, a true AI band. While I was on the road this past um, tour, the manager for the band I was working for on our day off was like, Hey, what are you doing right now? It's like nothing. And he's like, hey, come, come meet me for dinner. I want to I show you something. I want your opinion on something. I was like, okay. He shows me this music video. And he goes, I'm not going to tell you anything about this. I just, you seem to love music and I want your actual opinion on it. And the music video was kind of, it was like a CGI. It looks like World of Warcraft characters playing metal instruments. It was kind of like goofy. But the music was like some of the best mellow death I've ever heard. Like unreal. It sounded like an all-star band. And I'm like, I'm really into it. And after we're done, I'm just like, okay, I feel like this is like an all-star band. Like, I feel like I recognize this voice, but I can't put my finger on it. Is would I know this? And he's like, no. It's like, okay, tell me what it is. He's like, this is the world's first 100% AI metal band. And I was like, what? Dude, it's fucking phenomenal. Like, I, bet. <laughs> it, it, I was like, how did they do this? And, uh, since they can't feed it already written stuff, they had musicians come into a studio and play riffs for hours, like just play guitar, noodle and stuff. And then they had a linguist come in so the AI could study mouth movements and English patterns and stuff. And it 100% came up with all the music, the lyrics, everything, and even mixed the fucking song. What? And it, it, kicks, <laughs> it kicks absolute ass, dude. I was like blown away. I was like, I... I, I I still don't fully comprehend it, but I'm like, this is unreal. Like, that's what's next, dude. AI bans. <laughs> Fair okay. enough. Yeah, yeah, all of our jobs are in danger now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. you know, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, it'll have its fan base, but I think there's there will always be fans of the real thing. Oh yeah, for, for sure. sure. I don't think live shows are in danger because I ask, I go, how do you do this live? And he goes, no, we really don't like, this isn't something that's going to be a live project. This is just release it for fun. And yeah, it's the same as seeing a DJ live. Like, you know, what are, what exactly like they could maybe do some filter sweeps or something like that. Maybe throw in some bass drops, but for the most part, they're just pressing space bar and jumping mm -hmm. around. Like, 
Yeah. Um, it, it might be the same thing and they might even like do it guerrilla style where like they have some video playing or like uh death clock style where they have a video playing on a screen or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it's like, didn't the, gr- the gorillas when they first started touring, did that they played behind a screen and just had video or something. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's just, it's just the lead singer from blur. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, uh, but a- yeah. AI bands won't complain about merch cuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude. Exactly. Great, seg- great segue. Because uh, oh, I, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was sitting here like, "Fuck, how are we going to get into the actual conversation?" Now? I got you. Oh no, dude. Well, well, let's get into that because my my downfall, and I'm very aware of this. I'm a fucking talker, dude. I will sit here with you guys for five hours and talk Fuck about yeah. nonsense. So yes. let's let's get into what we're here to talk about. <laughs> So the actual topic at hand and uh, the reason that I wanted to bring Tank on was because he's been a merch manager for fucking legends like, you know, Van Halen. Uh, did you do Journey as well? Yeah, I did Journey right after Van Halen. Yeah, oh, shit. I did my research uh, because nice. I also um, one of the one of the guys in my non touring job, uh, he does stuff like uh, he's with Bruce Springsteen right now. And he also does some oh, cool. He does some other like a level shit. I think he does Grateful Dead. He does John Mayer. Um, nice. So I was I was really trying to get that John Mayer guitar tech gig, but I understand that that is Stevie Ray Vaughan's guitar <laughs> tech, and so I'm like, I'm not getting that gig. There's yeah, there's no yeah. chance. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he just reti- uh, Renee just retired. If I'm he? not mistaken. Yeah. Oh. Well, then you. So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> nah, I think they got somebody already. <laughs> I, know, I know i know i had no chance but um so just just so that way we can set a baseline for the conversation what is a merch cut so a merch cut is a percentage that either a promoter or a venue depending on who booked the show or how the contract looks that is a percentage of the merchandise sales that a a venue or promoter is going to take from a band for selling their merchandise at a show. And, um, you know, super hot topic right now. A lot of bands are talking about this. And I realize after hearing a lot of bands talk about it and fans and stuff too, is that not a lot of people really realize a, how it works and B how it's supposed to work. Because after seeing some of these bands talking about it, I'm like, you guys are paying merch fees wrong. Yeah. So there's a, so, you know, when, when a band sells merchandise at a show, every dollar they bring in is the gross sales total. But then after a gross sales total, they're going to have to pay taxes in the local area that they're in off what they sell. Most uh, credit card machines have a percentage for doing transactions on it. So before you pay a merchandise fee, you want to subtract those things out to get an adjusted gross total and then pay off it. Cause it's like, it's almost uh, when you're at a restaurant, everybody says, you know, 20% is kind of what you tip. But most of the time people are, people pay the 20% off whatever their check total is without thinking about the tax. So if you have a hundred dollar bill, the tax at the end of that is probably going to add on like, you know, 20 bucks, something like that. And then if you pay 20% in a tip, you're actually tipping somebody based off tax that's already included. So it's kind of like that. And I've realized so many bands are paying way more money than they should be because nobody really knows 
how this works unless they have they're a bigger band that has like a merchandise company or a full-time merchandise manager or something like that. Like a lot of smaller bands are in some cases being taken advantage of or just paying more than they should and nobody's being honest with them and telling them that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so. uh so, somebody and I'm not throwing shade on anybody, but you know, the venues are struggling right now as well. So um most venues are rather uh the people like live nation they're doing just fine but if it's something yeah. like where if it's your independent venue or something like that you know they're gonna want every dollar that they possibly can so it might be in more of a sneaky way that they're trying to get that extra money but you know i i i i would believe that more if merchandise fees weren't already happening for the last three decades like the same the, the venues are struggling. I'm not going to argue that at all. Like venues right. are absolutely struggling post pandemic, especially your independent smaller venues. But merch fees aren't a new thing. Right. They've they've been doing those same merch fees since before the pandemic. But now it's it's kind of more important for them than than ever to get that additional revenue, especially you know. You know, bar sales are going to bring in a good amount for venues too. But let's say you have a band that has a predominantly underage crowd. They're not going to make anything in bar that night. So the merchandise fee and merchandise cut is what they're relying on to get additional income. I guess my next question is why? Like, why, 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 why? So the early originations of the merchandise fee are are actually kind of wild. It involves uh, bootlegging. Because back in the early days of touring in the 60s and 70s, bands weren't even doing their own merch. There were literal just bootleg, what we would call bootleggers now, that would print a bunch of t-shirts for a band and they'd go to the venue early and they'd go to like the tour manager or something and be like, hey man, I made a bunch of shirts for the show. You mind if I sell them outside and I'll give you 20% for letting me do that. That's like the early days of merch fees was bootleggers would the tour would let bootleggers sell outside shows as long as they brought that tour manager, like 20% of whatever they sold or something like that. And then years and years down the line, you started getting venues and promoters that were doing that same thing when bands started selling merch inside the venues. Now, the venues argue that it's basically like a retail fee. It's like we're allowing you to set up a booth in our space and because of that, you need to pay us a fee. Right. It's, and it's rent venues for the space. Were, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I I buy into that argument. As somebody that's done merch for a long time, I buy into that argument totally. Um, you know, if a venue didn't have a merch area, then they could have put like a bar or something there. You know what I mean? Like their argument is they could have put something else there to make money, but they're going to allow the band to sell their t-shirts there. Um, but... Some people would argue, a lot of bands would argue that nobody would be there to buy anything anyways if the band wasn't there. So it's just a nonstop back and forth argument with everything. The problem in the times that we're in right now is that merchandise fees have become such a common thing that bands really don't have an argument against it. And, you know, in in modern times, the reason a merchandise fee would exist is because bigger venues are, they're doing work for bands. You know, you get into big theaters and arenas they have merchandise teams that count in all the merch with the merchandise manager. They set up and display everything. Their staff sells everything. So for example, like when I was doing those arena level tours, doing merchandise, I was basically just a glorified accountant every day. I would just pull what I thought needed to be pulled based off my numbers for the show. 
I would count in the numbers with the venue. And then once it's turned into them, I don't do anything. I, I sit on the bus and wait for them to call me and tell me they need more or something. They set up, they display, they sell. Then at the end of the night, we count everything out. They cut me a check. They take their cut. I'm fine with a merchandise fee in that specific situation because they did the work of selling. But when a band is walking into a club and the club just points to a dark corner with nothing, no tables, no lights, and says, there's your spot. And then at the end of the night, we're going to take 20%. That's to me kind of ridiculous because it's like that venue has given that band no support to help them sell their stuff whatsoever, but they're still expecting money at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. And because, but, 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 and really quick, because the bigger venues do the merch splits because they have staff the smaller venues and promoters have started including it because it's such a normal thing and it's just got to the point where like nobody really argues it anymore it's just such a yeah it's just such a common thing that every band assumes that everywhere they play they're going to have to pay a merch split and bands aren't checking their contracts like there there are times where i know bands are paying out and it's a merch split uh merch split is not in their contract and they're still giving money to a venue so (laughs) whoa I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> I thought yeah. I thought it was just like, I mean, obviously, I I'm a guitar tech. I don't deal with any of that, so I didn't know they like. You know, I would I just always assumed it was in the contract, whether there was any support from the venue or not, that these cuts were going to happen. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's wild that some people are just paying it by default for no yeah. real reason. Uh, Jose, our old tour manager, London, she was very good at putting in a master tour. Um, how much the split was for the night. So every single date, it would say merch split 80, 20 merch split 85, 15. But then like there were some shows where there would be no merch split and she would, she would put in there no merch splits with like 17 exclamation points afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it, it behooves the uh, merch manager when it comes to um, especially like getting to know the contract. And, and even then for smaller shows, if you're doing, the independent circuit, something that's not run by live nation. Uh, it's going to be different show to show to show. So definitely making sure that you know, what's in the contract per show mm-hmm. or, you know, I understand that during the, during tours, you know, might, might be hectic. It might, you might not have time to go back and check the venue. So that might be something at the beginning of the tour while everybody else is doing pre-production, you know, it might be worth it to put it in a master tour for every single show, what, what the split is. So then you're not like trying to find out like whether the booking agent sent the contract or anything like that. So I, that's a great tour manager. And I will say, and I don't mean to like talk down on any, any merch manager that doesn't do this, but a good merchandise manager on any tour will actually advance a tour in the same way a tour manager will. So every tour I ever did, I made sure I got every show contract from the booking agent. So I knew what the splits were going to be. And a week out from every show, a week to two weeks, usually two weeks for me, I would take the contact from that show and I'd send them an email and introduce myself and say, Hey, I want to advance merchandise. If you're not the person I need to advance with, send me to that person. And then before that show, we go over everything just so there's no questions the day of. I go, right. This is the information that I have. It says, uh, this is how many tickets uh, have been sold so far for this. This is what's in the contract for the merchandise split. Let me know if there's any discrepancies. And I would go as far as saying like, where is your merch table located that I'm going to be selling at? Do you have any tables? Do you have any grids? So I always knew every day when I was walking in, 
Do I need to bring my own tables in today? Do I need to bring my grids? And then at the end of the night, there's no surprises when we're going to settle. Sometimes venues would never reach back out to me, but um, you know, knowing those merch contracts is a huge battle because um, the venues some themselves sometimes don't even take the time to look at the numbers. Like they just assume that every show is the same, especially if it's a smaller independent venue. So like I've had times where somebody comes to settle with me and they're like, you know, Oh, the splits 25%. And I was like, no, it's not. My contract says 20. And they're like, Oh, we're all our split last night was 25%. I was like, well, it's not tonight. Like, so the venues aren't even sometimes the, the venue staff sometimes aren't even like up to date with what's going on per show. And a horrible example or well, a good example of a horrible situation with this is I worked at a venue when I was younger outside of Chicago and every night, the owner of the venue who also did sound and stuff would be like, you know, at the end of the night, you know, Hey, go collect, collect the 20% from the the bands. So I'd go collect the 20%, just doing what I'm told as an employee and come to find out like years later, I found out there was never, never contracted <laughs> merch fees for that venue at all. This guy was just pocketing extra money from these bands every night. And, oh, that's tough. um, you know, I, I found that out because one of the bands that was there, I believe it was like, we came as Romans or something. I went to go settle and their merch guy was like, there, I don't know what you're talking about, but there's no merch fee here. Like we're not giving you anything. Right. And I, I went back to the owner and was just like, dude, they said there's no fee in the contract. And he goes, yeah, there's not, but you know, sometimes they'll just give us money. And that was the day I realized I was like, wow, this is shady as fuck. Yeah. yeah. So, like, so, yeah. So maybe what bands should be complaining about is like that not just like merch cuts in general. Uh, but yeah, just like taking care to like, you know, venues like that don't, you know, pull a fast one on you. And like, mm-hmm. if there's no support by the venue to help out with your merge and all that, like fight for, you know, not paying a merge cut that night. Whereas, yeah. you know, bigger places that will help you out and, you know, have like concession people like selling for you. And then, you know, mm-hmm. then that's fine. Cause they, those people got to get paid too. You know? For sure. And that's, that's the one example that like, I'm fine with, like if I'm doing a venue, if I'm doing a theater arena and a merch staff is setting up and displaying and selling everything all night. Yeah. Give them a percentage because they're, they're working for you. And most of the time they're going to have multiple people working. So it's better than just me trying to sell by myself anyways. But when it goes back to that club where they're just telling you to set up in a dark corner, it's like, you know, why a venue thinks they're entitled to a merch fee in that position. I don't know, but the other, the other problem with what's going on right now, we see this nonstop, like bands are very vocal about this right now, more so than I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. My problem with the bands is that I, I wouldn't say they're lying, but they're sometimes withholding the actual truth from the fans of what's going on. So they're, sure. they're like, like, like architects, for example, recently was complaining about the merch fee, rightfully so. Like, they're like, this is taking money out of our pockets while we're touring. This is bullshit. They're stealing from us. And right when bands start using the word stealing in my head, I'm like, mm, here's the problem with telling your fans they're stealing from you. Your agent signed off on the contract that has a merch fee in it. Right. You have no argument. Like, if you don't want to pay merch fee, you got to get your agent to fight to take that out because once it's in there, there's nothing you can do. 
And and my point in that is what's the the agent is getting their 10 or 15% either way, you know, whatever whatever their whatever their fee is. So what's their incentive to fight for it? They would much rather just book the show, get the deal done, and that's it. That's I agree. That's the hard part. That's that's the hardest part because I, I was talking on another podcast about this yesterday that I was on. Like the agents are booking the shows and signing the deals, and they're still getting their fee no matter what. There's no incentive for an agent other than them just trying to be do good by their band. Like there's no incentive for them to fight super hard to get that merch fee removed. Like, or let's say there's no, there's no repercussions on them. If there ends up being a merch fee, they're still getting their percentage. It's just, it's hilarious because like I I fall into the trap of getting into Facebook arguments with people and I got to stop doing that. It's bad for my mental health, but like, you know, that that's the point that I try to make on a lot of these posts where it says like, you know, band, where people claim that they're they're stealing and it's it, or venues are stealing and it's like not really it's in a contract you have to abide mm-hmm. by the terms of the contract what the, the the rage should really be it should it should be shared by the booking agent and the venues cuz i mean you know they're 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 both equally at fault here in from from what i see so you know, it, the the the, yeah. the the loudest voices are being thrown towards the venues when really like nobody knows that the booking agents are involved in this as well. Well, I, I, I can't I can't really blame booking agents like I would never place blame on them for the merch fee, even though they are signing the contracts, because the the other big problem is, let's say an agent does try and fight for their band. Uh, dude, the, the venues and the promoters have the upper hand. Oh, like, 100%. All right, then you just don't play here. Exactly. And the the hard thing right now is like Live Nation owns so many venues, promotes so many tours, AEG as well. Like, you know, bands risk if they upset Live Nation at at one venue, they risk 50 more venues. Exactly. And that's, you know, I I remember, uh, I think it was the singer for Architects was like calling on bands to like boycott venues where they have merch fees. And I'm like, Dude, it'll one the the only way that works is if every band on the planet gets on board, and that's never going to happen. Because I've seen local bands, local bands, and Instagram comments are like, "We we have no leverage. Like, if we don't pay the merch fee, we don't have the venue to play in. And as a local band, we need to play somewhere, otherwise, nobody's going to see us. So we're kind of stuck paying that fee. And I. I do see that as the problem. Like bands are, are kind of strong armed into, you know, pay the merchandise fee or you're just not going to have a venue to play at. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, and, you know, boycott all you want. There's going to be somebody else that'll take that spot. 100%. So really you're, you're just fucking yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's nothing like that ever works in any, in any way where it's like people, People are mad at a business for something and they say, stop going there. There's no chance that a hundred percent of the people are going to stop going somewhere like that, you know? And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a bummer. And and sometimes again, it's the promoter and not the venue, like the, like the venue won't even have a merchandise fee, but the promoter will put it in the contract. And I, we saw alpha wolf talking about that. And Right away, I get how the fans react to that because they love their bands and they want to support their bands. But it's like, 
Alpha Wolf singer goes on, goes off on stage calling the promoter a dirty scumbag for stealing their money. And then in the next scene in their blog, their guitar players like, you know, yeah, we paid the fee because it was in our contract and we had to. And I'm like, and that's, that's you basically, that's your admission of guilt. You can't have your singer get on stage and call this guy a scumbag for stealing your money and then say it was in the contract that you signed. Like that's, that's a, I, man, I, 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 I support bands. I, I love bands, but I'm like, when it comes down to it, it's the contract, dude. Like if it's in the contract you signed, you have no room to complain. For sure. Agreed. Yeah. So a lot of times, like, you know, I've worked in manufacturing and I've, I've had literally every job on the planet. And essentially if your cost goes up, you just raise your price. You know, that's just, Mm -hmm. that's how, that's how inflation works. Um, So, I mean, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because, you know, I, I do personally feel as though merch cuts uh, are a legally agreed to theft. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a great way to put it. Yeah. But like, you know, it it just, just for argument's sake, if the venue is going to throw this 20% tax on it, whatever, why not just mark the, why not just mark the merch up 20% and, you know, just, I mean, some bands do. I mean, dude, when I did merchandise for Van Halen, our fucking t-shirts were $45 and like hoodies were like a hundred and, and you know, those bigger bands can get away with that anyways, because people want it and they're going to pay it. And that's no, no, no shade on Van Halen or anything. It's just, that's reality. The bigger venue you get to, the higher prices are going to be. But the problem with that, in, in my opinion, is let's say, let's say a local or regional band is playing at a venue and their, their t-shirts, 20 bucks, merch fees, 20%. That's, you know, four bucks right there that is being taken from them. Wait, did I do that math right? Yeah. Four bucks. But let's say they raise their t-shirt price like five bucks. Five dollars could be the difference between a kid at that show that discovered that band being able to afford a shirt or not. You know? So in that case, it's like, okay, do you keep your prices lower so more people can support your band and your product? Or do you raise your price because you're getting screwed by the merch fee? but then less people might buy your merch. You yeah. know, it's the bands, the bands are in a catch 22 in this, in this situation. Cause the venue is going to make money anyways. The, the, the venue is going to make whatever that 20% or sometimes 25, 30, whatever, they're going to get that money no matter what the band sells. Yeah. And it's, it's really up to the band on what they want to do in that position. But like I said, you start raising your prices, you might run the risk of, you know, kids not being able to afford or su- support, yeah. the shirt that you're selling. Yeah, and then there's uh there's there's going to be the shows where you have to like price match with everybody and then <sighs> yeah. the touring band has to raise the price because of the merch cut and then so the support has to, you know, raise their prices and now the fan has to make a choice whose shirt are they going to buy. Yeah. And chances are the smaller band's going to sell less merch that day. Yeah. And 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 the, the shitty thing is this goes back to contracts too. Um Sometimes price matching isn't even in contracts. Like let's so for, for anybody that, that listens that doesn't know price matching, a lot of the times on package tours, uh, a headlining band will require all of the opening bands to match the price that they're selling their merchandise at. That makes it fair across the board. That makes sure that opening bands aren't undercutting other bands with prices so that they'll sell more of their product. It's a pretty standard thing in the music industry, but there are a lot of tours where it's not in the contract. So 
if you want to go back to knowing your contracts, I, you know, this is a, this is a weird situation too, because I actually had this happen once uh, way back in the day. One of my first tours, I was doing merch, the headlining band we were doing a show with was like looking at my display and he goes, nah, you can't sell your shirts for 25. You got to match ours at 35. And I was like, why? And he's like, cause ours are 35. So yours got to be 35. And I was like, why? <laughs> he's like, he's like, cause that's just the way it is. I was like, can you show me in our show deal where it says that I have to match your prices? So even though I was in the right and it wasn't in the contract, so like I didn't have to match his prices, then you run the risk of being that band or that person working for that band on tour that builds the reputation of not getting along and playing by the rules. So it's like, you gotta, it's a battle that you just like, you can't win. (laughs) <laughs> you know, either right. way, it's it's either I match prices and possibly sell less merch for the band I'm working for, or I don't match prices. And now I've got a target on my back for the rest of the tour. Exactly. Because then if, if you get into a discussion or argument or whatever you want to call it with somebody else that's on the tour, then you're labeled as probably And it's the same as being a tech, you know, uh, I, I try to fly under the radar as much as I can when I'm out on the road, because I don't want to be your reputation is everything. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if if I'm not working, I'm usually off the bus exploring the city or I'm napping. Those are, those are the three places that you're going to find me. And it's just your, your reputation is everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll share that reputation with your artists. Like you, you be that band becomes the band that's hard to work with. And it's, you know, one person with a very, very specific role in the tour. And everyone just like shares the the blame for them. Dude, and I've been on the the giving and receiving end of that, where it's like, I'm very well aware when I tour that I'm an extension of that artist or band's reputation, because if I'm a dick to somebody, it's not going to be, you know, that that, that guy Tank was a dick. It's going to be so-and-so's guitar tech was a dick. And then by association, it's just going to turn into their camp are dicks, and then they're a dick. And then it becomes, oh yeah, I've heard about those guys, you know. Exactly. (laughs) Even though they haven't worked for them in three years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, dude, it's, it is, it's reputation is everything on the road. And it's, you know, I've unfortunately been not, not victim of that, but I've, I've done that to people mistakenly where it's like, you know, somebody in somebody's crew is hard to get along with and a total asshole. And, you know, I tell my crew like, you know, they're whatever. And then it becomes, it's not just a singular person. It's the crew. And then that crew is like for the rest of the tour, it's like, Oh, they're hard to work with when, like you said, it's just that one person, but they, their reputation extends to the entire tour. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. (laughs) So how do we like, is there, is there a way out of merch cuts? Like how do, how do we dig ourselves out? Like what, what do you see? the realist side of me says that it's not going to change. I agree. Like I, I, I don't, I, I bands can, can be vocal about it. People can complain about it all they want. I, I just don't see it changing ever. It's, it's been going on for so long and nothing's ever been done about it yet that I just don't see anything all of a sudden changing now. And I see a Loudwire headline once every six months somebody new is complaining about merch cuts and it's like, well, what did we learn last time? Nothing. Cool. So it's just going to keep being the same thing. 
Yeah, it's and and a lot of it goes back to certain promotion companies and stuff too. When you when you have two two or three of the largest promotion companies in the world that are that own these venues that have all these fees in their contracts, it's like you know your your pool of places to play where you may not have a merch contract becomes smaller and it's one of those things. Do you, do you, do you really want to fight that fight? Like, do you, do you really want to give up all these places that you could be playing to fans and stuff like that just to win that merch feedback? Like what, I I guess the question is, what is it worth to each band? Because depending on, I guess, how much merch you do, it's like, do you want to tour more and play on more cool tours? Or do you just want to make that extra 20% every night? And I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that bands are being greedy or anything like that. I'm just saying it's it. Unfortunately, it's a situation where it's like, you know, how do you want to fight this battle and what are you willing to give up to win this battle? Yeah, it's it's a tough position to be in for sure. Mm-hmm. Just makes me glad I'm just, you know, changing strings and tuning guitars, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get any, I don't get any merch cuts. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it, I, I loved doing merch back in the day, but I will say I'm 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 glad that I, I don't have to deal with that anymore, especially now, because you know it's and then merch people, you know, one of the last things too is I, I I've seen this brought up by a lot of people, and I, I'm gonna be honest about it. Um, fans are like, Well, why don't merch guys just lie? And I was like, Well, that's I mean, that's a thing. I can't I can't then but the problem is everybody knows then the band, like- yeah, but then the band you but then the band you work for expects you to do it, and then when you don't get away with it on a night, then they feel like you didn't do your job. It's it's dude. The whole situation is so weird because I will one hundred percent admit admit there there have been club bands I worked for where if a venue's not physically counting in my merch with me, I'm I'm cooking a separate sheet, and I'm giving them a merchandise settlement at the end of the night that shows that I sold half of what I really did, so I could make more money for the band that I'm working for. I, I it, it, that's a thing. Yeah. yeah. But then if you don't get away with it on a certain night, your band's like, well, why'd you have to pay a whole merch fee tonight? And, you know, and then all of a sudden they feel like you're not doing your job and you're a shitty merch guy. And it's like, it's such a weird position for merch managers to be in because you are doing your job, but now your job has required trying to literally (laughs) commit fraud every night. (laughs) Well, yeah. And the, the other issue with that is like, you're, you're, you're opening yourself up to potential litigation. Like, you know, because that is a contract is a contract is a contract Mm -hmm. that is legally binding. If you're, you're the one, you're the one committing theft at that point, essentially like, yeah, no, a merch settlement sheet does not have the band's signature on it. It has my signature on it every yeah. night. Like, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so, like, you know, let's just say that you happen to hand them the wrong sheet one night, and then you hand them the check for half of that amount, and then they're, and then they're like, oh, you were trying to screw us tonight. And, you know, this goes back to the reputation. The venue then starts telling other venues and other promoters, you know, oh, these guys mm-hmm. tried to rob from me, you know? It's just, and it's a, it's a small world. Like you guys know, just as well as I do, like you start doing repeat venues, you run into the same local hands, the same venue staff. You remember people, stuff like that. Merchandise world is very small. A lot of the venues around the country have the same person that's been there for years that does all the merchandise. So if you build a bad reputation as a, as a, as a merch manager, 
there, it's that reputation will precede you because everybody talks and everybody knows each other. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's a lose, lose situation. Again, I know I've said that like 10 times now, but it's, it's a lose, lose situation. The bands do not have the upper hand. The merch managers do not have the upper hand. And I don't think anything's going to change. Yeah. Unfortunately, (laughs) just uh, another, you know, one thing, like, I guess like most people don't, you know, everyone knows how tough this business is. Uh, and at this point, I'm talking like fans too. Like they understand that it's not an easy world to live in, but man, this is just, just another one of those layers that goes to show how hard this business is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even now with, with the age of social media, we're in the fans are getting to see more and hear more than ever. Yeah. So yeah. they, they do understand more now than they ever have. Yeah. It's always an uphill battle. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. Everything, every, every yeah. aspect of it is an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I guess part of the way that I can try to describe this to somebody that has a nine to five is like imagine you work in a cubicle and you know you're sitting there, you're making money, you're doing your job, but then like you get a twenty percent like reduction in your paycheck at the end of the week and it's like the fuck you mean I have to rent rent the area where my desk is? Like <laughs> yeah, dude, that's a that's a great analogy. Like for real. That's what it that's what it feels like to the bands. Yeah. Like that's, that's absolutely what it feels like. And like I said, I'm, I'm pro band in this situation. I, I really 100%. do think like, you know, the, the bands should be making the money if the venue is doing nothing to help them with their merchandise sales and stuff. And, you know, I guess the best thing to do at this point for a lot of bands and merchandise managers is just to be aware again, like the contract contract is huge, man. Like, especially yeah. the way things are done. Like, I almost got into a brawl on a tour once, not not of my choosing. We did a show in San Francisco one time when I was doing merch and I went to settle the show. And like I said, at the beginning of this, when you settle, you take out your taxes and your credit card fees and stuff. And um, this person at this venue was like, no, that's not how we do it here. You're giving us 20% of your gross. I was like, well, no, because I had a thousand dollars in taxes tonight. And if I pay you another 20% of that, that's an extra $200 that you get just from what I'm already paying in taxes. That doesn't make sense. And uh, luckily at the time I was, I was working for a very large merchandise company and I basically handed the guy the check and was like, if you have a problem, you can call my company. And he goes, well, I have a problem and I have no problem dragging you out here right now into the fucking alleyway. And all I had to do was just radio my production manager and tour manager and be like, can you come inside? We got a problem. (laughs) Blue 42. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's, you know, I I have no, this was an isolated incident. This was an isolated person that I don't, this doesn't represent the, the, the venue as a whole, even though that person works for the venue, but I don't have time for that tough guy attitude on tour at all. Like I've had, I've had techs get in my face before because they don't like where I set up. I've had stage managers get in my face because they think a band that I work for sound check too long. It's like, dude, we're adults out here. We can figure this out without trying to fucking flex and be tough with each other. Like this is stupid. 100%. Like I don't have time for it. Uh, Jose knows what blue four to two means, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, is that like, is that your, your code for a tour for shits going down? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, like everyone, everyone come down here. We're about to knock some teeth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny, like in 16 years of touring, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever actually 
been in that situation. Like it's gotten close, but I, I've, I've never got, I don't think I've ever gotten into a fight on the road now that I think about it. Oh, the, the last, the last tour that I was on, one of the texts from one of the other bands almost got into it with a bunch of load, uh, union loaders at one of the venues. And it, it, it oh, wasn't, that- it wasn't even like one of the main cities. Like it wasn't LA or it wasn't New York city. It was like some bumblefuck city that for some reason had union loaders. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's always funny to me because I know, I know we jokingly, like we know when we walk into cities, what kind of crews we're going to get in certain cities. Oh, hundred percent. But it's like, but dude, I, that I never understood. I've never had a problem with local cr- crews anywhere. It's like, everybody always has this weird stigma about like local one when you go to New York and stuff. I can't tell you one bad time I've ever had with local one. Yeah, they're strict and they got their rules, but they work. <laughs> like, oh, they, yeah. Yeah. And like the, the I, I try to get on local local one. I try to get on their good side. As soon as I walk into a venue, I'm like, you're my boss today. You tell me what I can and can't do. And after that, Dude. like the, the first thing that the guy told me was like, I like you. We're going to be friends. And then boom, the day is just easy as hell. That was that was the, we just did New York City last week. And with the band I was with, it's their first time in the States ever. Their crew has never done a show there. And I had to explain to them beforehand how local one is. And I'm just like. You do not do like you don't move anything today. Like local one is in charge of the gear. The, seriously, like I, you can set up and patch your own stuff and stuff like that. But when it comes to load in, load out, all that stuff, like do not move your own cases, stuff like that. And they're like, wow, this is it's kind of intense. And I was like, yeah, but you'll see. They they have a system. It, it works, and they work. Like the first time I ever did a show at Madison Square Garden, I was blown away by how that how local one operates there how fast everybody's moving and it was it was mind blowing last tour i did we uh we did hulu theater because billy joel was in the big room and i just <laughs> i was joking about it the entire day like yo who can get me passes to billy joel tonight like but uh but yeah they they i have i have nothing negative to say about them they were the, the only thing that yeah. i didn't understand was um was when they said stage dark like oh, literally yeah. meant you cannot go anywhere. Like you can't you don't be on stage. The doors will be locked. Yeah. And dark, dark stage, depending on who is in charge of the union that day. Can right. be, yeah. Like every time I've ever had a dark stage uh, as a guitar tech, I've kind of talked to him ahead of time and I've been like, Hey, as long as I don't walk out on stage and make noise, are you cool? If I just kind of hang and restring guitars. Cause I got a lot to do. Like just in New York this last time, like dude was like, yeah, whatever, dude, go for it. Like we don't care as long as you're not on stage moving shit around, you know, but some, some places and some people, you know, crew leads are not cool with that. So you just need to be prepared in those big cities to have an hour less to work. Yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. normally like that that like the day before will be like my big work day and I'll just like do yeah uh everything I can so that I, you know, that that next day I I'll I won't need that extra hour. Yeah, smart. Yeah, I've never thought of that either. I just I always work on a schedule, like a mental schedule where I know like okay, this guitar gets changed today, but I I, yeah. I never even consider that like oh, it's a sliding scale and I'm the one that makes the rules so I can do whatever I want. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Tank, do you have any uh, final thoughts about merch cuts? I'm not sure if we did if we didn't touch anything that you wanted to address. Not really. Uh, um, I just, like I said, just to reiterate, um, 
I'm totally on the band side. I just think that the way that the music industry is set up right now is has tipped the scales in favor of the promoters and the venues. And I wish I had some magic answer. Like I have a lot of bands that I know now that reach out to me asking if they think there's anything I can do. And the, the short answer is no. Like, you know, it, I just always know your contracts, always make sure all that paperwork is lined up and you know exactly what's going on. But past that, I think, I think 10 years from now, you will, we'll still be seeing bands that are like, they're taking our merchandise money. And it's, it just is what it is. hundred percent. Jose, you got any final thoughts? No, no, I'm, I'm good. All right. Do you know what day of the week it is? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> uh, I haven't made that joke in several episodes, but basically like at least once an episode, I ask Jose what day of the week it is. And even he never knows because he's always on tour schedule. So Tuesday, it's Wednesday. Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I never know what day it is either. I mean, even when I stream on Twitch, sometimes I'll be like, happy Tuesday, everybody. And they're like, it's Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck it. It all blends together. All right. Um, it's been awesome talking to you, Tank. I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. Uh, but yeah, you gentlemen, take care of yourselves, all right? Dude, thank you yeah. very much for having me on here. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. Thank you for listening to the Roadie Friday Podcast. Have a question or an idea? Email us at roadiefridaypod at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Theme music by Ricky Armelino. Editing and production by Darren Makins. 